we're back. Okay, episode number four. We took a few weeks off there, not of our own choice, by the way. We were having a lot of technical issues getting the podcast uploaded, so I've got a couple of podcasts sitting out there that have been recorded that may never get to be heard, which might not be a bad thing, actually. Everything happens for a reason, I guess. So, But yeah, we're back. Here we go. Lots to talk about in today's episode. Lots of rugby happening around the world. How good is that to see as well, especially down in the Southern Hemisphere, international rugby back. Not for the first time this year, obviously the Six Nations happened, but man, it feels good to to watch it again, experience that atmosphere and kind of be a part of it. And geez, what a game it was. If anybody hasn't seen that Australia-New Zealand game, Test 1, Wellington, make sure you watch it because that was one of the best games of rugby I've seen at an international level in a long time. There were a few people, a few commentators saying that it might be one of the best games ever played. I don't think I'd go as far as to say that, but it was definitely it was definitely a contender in the maybe top 10 games or so. It was it was end to end, it was breathless, it was intense, it was abrasive, it was physical. The skill set on show for both teams was it wasn't impeccable, but it wasn't far off. You even the commentator mentioned seven or eight minutes in that you thought or he thought that it looked like the teams had been together for months and months and in actuality they've been together for like two weeks. So all the, it was just a joy to watch. <laughs> Obviously the score was ended in a draw, sixteen sixteen. And as a whole, it's probably a fair reflection of the game. I certainly didn't think New Zealand deserved to get the win. I've read a lot of articles saying that Australia were lucky to get a, to get a draw, but that's not how I saw it at all. I thought Australia played all the rugby. Australia had better intent. They were very positive in their attack. Their defence and their line speed in particular was phenomenal. And they hung in at times, as you need to do, against the All Blacks. And the All Blacks hung in against the Wallabies attack time and time again. Refereeing wasn't wasn't great to be honest a lot of very bad calls on on both sides but I think a lot of bad calls more so against the Wallabies which is a shame because they had the game there for the winning and I think with just more consistency of the application of the law they they would have won that but you can't you can't blame the ref they they did have their chances and for anybody that that was watching it Hopefully you noticed the the number of kicks that were missed. I couldn't believe it. Jordy Barrett of New Zealand, he missed three, I think. He missed two conversions and a penalty. James O'Connor, the same. Two conversions and a penalty. And then Reese Hodge missed one as well. Now, obviously, Reese Hodges was from 60 metres. Now, it hit the post three quarters of the way up. He probably could have kicked that from the car park. And he, it still would have had the distance. But as a whole, there were seven kicks missed in that game. Four from Australia and three from New Zealand. And I preach all the time about the importance of of having a good kicker in your team. And our slogan here is practice become dangerous. But after the weekend, it's not even about becoming dangerous. It's about, it's about becoming invaluable to your team. Because if either of those teams had a kicker, they would have won that game quite easily. So if you take out James O'Connor's penalty miss and Jordy Barrett's penalty miss, just let's just focus on the on the conversions that they missed. 
because you can't really look at the penalties because if they slot one it changes the entire complexity of the game and there would have been a different restart there would have been different plays after that and the score wouldn't have ended up the same had either of them got their penalties even if they got one each and cancelled them out so if we look at the conversions any one of those four conversions from from those guys would have would have won the game for their team and a typical Wellington weather they said it was sunny all week and then it started to rain the weather turned shit the ball was greasy it was slippy underfoot and then there was torrential rain and like a gale force wind while they were playing it so none of the conversions by any stretch of the imagination were easy I know that when you look at Jordy Barrett's, especially one was from the right-hand touchline following his try, and one was from the left-hand touchline following Aaron Smith's try. I mean, those are difficult conversions as it is, and in those conditions, you wouldn't expect him to get it. But also, Jordy Barrett isn't known as a kicker. Like He's not in that all-blacks side because of his superior goal-kicking ability. He's in there because of his running game, his ability to break tackles, He's he's very underrated in terms of his hands. He's got a great pass. He's incredibly quick, and in the air. I mean, he's six foot four, six foot five. So I mean, getting up into the air, he he kind of reminds me of Israel Folau a lot in his ability to command the back. And obviously, he was playing on the wing, but having a winger that that can also get up high in the air and have that skill set as a fullback, but play on the wing is is massive. So, but he's he's not in that squad because of his kicking. Richie Mwanga had been kicking all year for the Crusaders. He was MVP for the Crusaders. He was he was just a superstar. So I thought it was strange that he wasn't kicking a goal, to be honest. I thought that was a clear choice right before the like, as soon as the kickoff happened, get Richie to kick. Obviously they sort these things out during the week. They would have had a kicking competition or something to see who was kicking. But I've and Jordy Barrett's only young, he's only 22 or 23 I think, but I've, I've never considered him an international goal kicker. Yeah, he, he can kick the piss off a ball from 60 metres, but he doesn't kick week in, week out for the Hurricanes, he doesn't kick week in, week out for the All Blacks, and that was their Achilles heel on on Saturday night. And exactly the same for the Wallabies as well, like James O'Connor has never he's never been a goal kicker. He's been a player that has been able to kick goals, but he's never been a goal like a reliable goal kicker. And it was exactly the same with him as well. I think after one of his kicks he kinda looked and had a half smile and I think he was kinda like blaming the wind. But if you actually break his strike down technically it was a really, really bad strike and he was looking for the wind as an excuse to help him out. So he misses three Barrett misses three, and then Reese Hodge misses one from from sixty or so. And so if you if you look at those kicks, like I said, any of them would have won them the game. So for anybody out there that watched the game and you're a kicker, get out there and practice. Hone your craft. Even if you're maybe uh you're a James O'Connor or you're a Jordy Barrett or a Reese Hodge in that you don't kick week in week out for your team but you're like you're the backup kicker get your boots on and get out there and fucking practice because i couldn't believe the amount of chances or the amount of points that were just left on the pitch just because of people's inability to kick a rugby ball and these guys aren't these guys aren't amateur players these guys are the top one percent in both of their respective countries and they're unbelievable players but their inability to be able to to kick cost them the game end of story
Now, take take the, all of those kicks out of it. Those seven missed kicks. When Reese Hodges hits the post, and New Zealand knock on, and Australia regather, Australia then had four or five phases of play. They were less than ten meters out from the try line, and they were directly in front of the post. And I mentioned this briefly on our Instagram, but I have nothing against James O'Connor as a person or as a player, but his inability in that moment to organise and orchestrate a drop goal for either himself or Matt Tamua or Reese Hodge, three very, very accomplished kickers, cost Australia the side, or sorry, cost Australia the win in, in that moment. And I've watched it back a few times, and there were two opportunities that he had to drop back into the pocket. And again, I said he's, he's 10 metres, right? He could have dropped back to 15 or 17 metres to give himself more time. And that's not, a, that's not a difficult kick. Now, obviously, in those conditions with that pressure, it might be a difficult kick. But these are the top 1%. That's what, this is what these guys get paid the big bucks for. So his inability to do that, I think, I think it revealed a lot about Australia. And it'll, I think it revealed a lot about James O'Connor and where he is kind of in regards to his comeback from being the bad boy of Australian rugby to now getting his head on straight and being a leader in the side. And after the game, Dave Rennie, the Australian coach, said that they had practised drop goals during the week and they had practised that, that setup. But I find that kind of hard to believe that they did do that and didn't orchestrate it in the game. And it's easy to say that as a as a spectator watching it on TV from the comfort of my own sofa with a cup of tea in my hand, but I, I couldn't believe it. I was yelling at the TV, I was texting my mate, saying I cannot believe they're not going for a drop goal here, like what is happening? And they tried to score a try. And the All Blacks hadn't conceded a try in that game on their own try line. And I didn't think it was going to start. So... It revealed a lot about James O'Connor in the fact that he I don't think he he's ready to be the international ten that Australia want him to be. Because an experienced ten, even like a, a Bernard Foley before him of Australia, a Dan Carter, uh even a, like an Aaron Cruden, an Andre Pollard, these guys like the the, the Owen Farrells of the world, like the creme de la creme of out halves, they would have they would have orchestrated two phases Drop back in the pocket, three points, game over, game done. But obviously James wasn't able to do that, whether that was because of organizational issues, communication issues. I'm not really I'm not really too sure on that, but yeah, it cost him the game. So anyway, Australia then tried to score, New Zealand turned it over, New Zealand went down to the other end of the pitch, and exactly the same thing happened. And I I actually couldn't believe what I was watching. So when New Zealand get down to the other end, they're in exactly the same position. They're 10 metres out from the Australian line. They have the ball and they do exactly the same as Australia tried to do a couple of minutes before them. Try to run over them, outmanoeuvre them and score a try instead of dropping in the pocket and kicking a, a drop goal. So I think for a lot, a lot of people around the world, it showed the importance of somebody that, of, or of somebody that is a deadly accurate kicker but somebody that also has the balls to step up and say, give me the ball, I'm going to hit a drop goal. Because Richie Mwanga, he hadn't played badly in that game. He was, I thought he was having a really good game. He got hit late so many times and he kept popping up. He like, he's, he's a tough little nugget. 
but he was he wasn't playing badly but I, I don't know what was going on in his head that he couldn't orchestrate a drop goal now he, he hit a few for the Crusaders during Super Rugby so I don't know what happened that he wasn't able to drop back into the pocket and do it and a lot of people say oh it's not in the New Zealand psyche we like to score tries but again their inability to do it has cost them the win so the All Black fans and the All Black commentators like Justin Marshall, they can say, oh, it's not in our nature, it's not in our psyche to do it. They can say that to the cows come home. The fact is, they didn't hit one. They didn't even attempt one. And they didn't attempt it because of the same fragilities that Australia had. Richie Mwanga is a bloody good player, and he's he, but he's only been around the international scene for about a year and a half or two years. He's still... He hasn't been around as long as people think he has and he hasn't started a lot of tests at 10 and that showed that in a crunch game when the pressure was on he wasn't ready to step up, he wasn't ready to organise and he wasn't ready to pull the trigger on a drop goal. They were, they felt more comfortable running the ball which is great, it shows the confidence in 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 the players around them and, and in the skill set of the New Zealanders that that they'd rather run and score a try than, than hit a drop goal but Jesus Christ you got to be able to hit a drop goal. Johnny Wilkinson won a World Cup by hitting drop goals, and yeah, it was it was so strange for me to just be sitting there watching it, watching these two teams try and run over each other and run around each other, as opposed to just swinging the leg and striking a ball. And again, easier said than done. I'm not in the moment. It it was pretty helter skelter watching it on TV. I can only imagine what it was like to play in it. Their heart rates must have been up around 150, 160 for for seven or eight minutes. They would have been absolutely bagged when that final whistle went. But yeah, as a whole, what a bloody good game of rugby. Everybody out there that's listening that wants or sees themselves as an aspiring kicker, get out there and start working on it. Start doing your drop goals off both feet, left foot, right foot. Start working off your place kicking from everywhere because kickers are still underestimated in the game. This is 2020. And even though they've been, we've been playing rugby for oh geez, decades and decades now, you saw in the game yesterday that that I guess kickers just aren't valued. And I don't know why, right? If either of them had a kicker, they would have won the game. So, But anyway, bloody, bloody good game of rugby. And if you haven't watched it, make sure you do watch it. And if you have watched it, go back and watch it again. And watch the striking of James O'Connor and Jordy Barrett. It doesn't look, it doesn't look that natural. Both of them pull off a few of them or pull out of a few kicks when they're striking it, leaning back and trying to trying to do something fancy that they don't really do. Reese Hodges' strike was the most pure strike of the day, and fuck, he was he was unlucky. That that hit the post, maybe more than three quarters of the way, maybe like seven eighths of the way up. And I said he could have kicked it from the car park, but Reese Hodges' strike was the best strike of the day. It was just unfortunate that, that it didn't go over. But lots of other rugby happening around the world over the weekend. Over in, in England, you had the the Premiership semi-finals. You had Exeter against Bath, and you had Wasps against Bristol. And Wasps actually came out of, on top of that game against Bristol quite easily the 40 something points or maybe 50 points to 20 something like they they really gave it to Bristol which I was surprised that Bristol had been going good guns and there's a lot of chat around Semi Radradra in the centres joining them obviously a former rugby league player and a, a pretty awesome rugby league player in Australia as well 
and Bristol have a bit of a superstar team with Radradra and Piatau, Luke Morahan, uh, Stephen Luatua, a lot of superstars in there, but Wasps seem to handle them. They got through the Premiership final, so good for them. And on the in the other uh, semi-final, Exeter Chiefs versus Bath, and oh, that was a it wasn't a cakewalk for Exeter, but you can see their their pedigree right now. They walked that game very comfortably in the end, and as a as a as an Ulsterman myself, and being from Portadown, it was great to see two two Ulster lads in there for Exeter get through to another final Gareth Steenson and Ian Whitten kind of the forgotten men of Ulster rugby Steeno I don't think Steeno ever represented Ulster at a senior level he, he played for Dungannon in Ireland and then he moved over to England at quite a young age maybe when he was 19 or 20 and he, he, he played for a few teams in England and found a home with Exeter and he played in the championship with Exeter the division below the premiership and he helped them get into the Premiership, and he's Exeter's all-time top point scorer. He's been an absolute legend of the club there, and this is his this is his final season. So he's got two games left in him now. He's got a Premiership final and a European final. So what a way to, for him to potentially buy out! It'd be awesome to see him him lift that European Cup. He's won the Premiership with with Exeter before, but this would be pretty amazing if he could. Have a have a swan song of of winning the double and and his first European Cup, as well and the same for for Ian Whitten for for Dizzy, as he's known. Oh, what a player he's been for Exeter, and he was a bloody good player for Ulster as well. But for some reason Ulster didn't want to didn't want to keep him around, or maybe that was Ian's choice to leave. But great to see two Ulster lads flying the flag for for the Ulster men over over in England and and doing well. So hopefully. Hopefully they can get the win. They can do the double. I, I fancy their chances. They're playing. They're playing Racing in the in the Heineken Cup final, and I fancy Exeter to do it. They dismantled Toulouse in the semi final quite comfortably, and I think it shows the pedigree that that Exeter have right now and kind of where they're at. Stuart Hogg at the back at fifteen for them was an awesome acquisition. He's he's been on fire. Him and Jack Jack Nowell out on the wing um, have been awesome to watch and then one of my favourite players at 13 Henry Slade just been carving it up for them as well so yeah I wish them well it's going to be two good finals for them playing Wasps in the Premiership and then Racing in the in the European Cup so fingers crossed they can they can get two wins in, in Steno's last two games as a as a professional player so on our Instagram account I've been trying to use our stories a little bit more and one thing that I've been doing in the stories is a little myth busting section that I try to do every day and just bust a few myths in terms of rugby or kicking or rugby nutrition or whatever the case may be whatever comes into my head for that day and it was either yesterday or the day before I did a, a myth bust on the follow-through and and I said that the follow-through you should work on that just as much as any other aspect of a kick, true or false. And overwhelmingly, you're, you responded true to that. You should work on your your follow-through just as much as any other part of the kick. And it was really interesting because that's not actually what I believe at all or, or what the next story said in, in terms of the follow-through. 
And I think that the follow through itself is something that is so misunderstood. And because people don't fully get it, they feel that it's something that you have to work on like every other part of a kick. And in actuality, the follow through should be the least worked on part of a kick. Whether it's a kick from hand, whether it's a drop goal or whether it's a goal kick, your follow, th your follow through shouldn't be robotic in nature. It should be, it should have a routine to it and you should end up in the same position every time but that is a result of your strike and your speed in towards the ball, meaning you'll end up in the same place. Because a few a few of you have sent me in your, your videos over the weekend and asked me to just do a little bit of analysis on it. And what I've noticed is that when a lot of you are striking the ball, you're ending up in the same place in your follow through, but every single one of your strike is different. And if your strikes are different, you shouldn't be ending up in the same place. The only way you can end up in the same place each time with different variations of a strike is with an artificial or man-made follow-through. And that's honestly, that that's no good. It doesn't help. You're taking up brain space and you're wasting your time and your energy by working on your follow-through. Now, what your follow-through is, and I've said this before, it's a collection of stored energy that's trying to be released. So the energy is created and stored when you approach the ball, when you swing your leg down on the downward motion, and then on the impact of the ball. So obviously when you approach the ball, you're probably roughly three, four, maybe five yards away from it. You're coming in, your speed is picking up as you're approaching the ball in your last step. But then that momentum has to go somewhere. The momentum and energy you've created at the point of impact has to be released. And all it is is released in a follow through after you strike. That's it. And I've, I've noticed a lot of people and even a lot of professional players over the last number of years, when they strike the ball, they force their kicking foot to come back down to the ground as quickly as possible, as opposed to, to letting their striking leg follow through and reach an apex in height and reach a and have a natural progression and a natural flow to it as well. And I'm not sure what the what the thinking, I'm not sure what the science is behind that. I've been looking into it and I can't find anything right now. But when, when you're striking the ball, you do need to have a very long and natural follow through. Now, if you want a good example of it, I've put up a couple of videos of Matt Burke, who won the World Cup with Australia in 1999. One of the best goal kickers that's ever kicked the ball, the Australian fullback. And I've got a video on our page of him kicking a 55 metre maybe a 60 meter kick against New Zealand. And if you watch his follow through in it, his, he's right footed and his right leg um, gets well beyond the horizontal of the hips. It gets way past that. And his foot is almost up to where his shoulder is. Now, if you think of rugby players today, you don't, you don't see that, that motion. You don't see that follow through or that movement at all. You see players like Jordy Barrett who stab it and he can stab it far. Reese Hodge is similar. Reese Hodge can get actually, I shouldn't say that, Reese Hodge can get a good follow through. But James O'Connor is another one, a very short, um, stubby run through, follow through afterwards with his leg and with his motions. And it, it just, it doesn't look natural. It doesn't look natural for any of these guys. And I've seen on their Instagram and on their, on these kicking coaches, people say, you know, make sure you, you follow through to the post three, four, five yards 
after you kick. And guys, that's that's bullshit. As soon as you strike the ball, you could run from your kicking tee to Timbuktu and the ball's not going to go any further. It's not going to go any faster. It's not going to go any higher. And you're not going to get any more accuracy on it. What you need to do is allow your body to have a natural follow-through. And when I say natural, I mean strike the ball and just see where your body ends up. That's natural. Now, you will end up in the same position every single time if your approach and your strike and your speed, momentum, your velocity, the point of contact, all of that, you'll end up in the same position if all of those areas are consistent over time. So the next time you're you're down kicking somewhere or you're practicing, just have a go at it. Don't strike the ball and then force yourself to follow through. And also try and take note if you're stabbing the ball as opposed to swinging through it. So have, have a kick at goal and, and just f don't worry about too much about where the ball goes, but just have a look at your kicking leg and notice does my, does my foot come above the line of my hips, above that horizontal, or does it stay below it? Because if it stays below it, you're not getting as much of an optimal strike as possible. If, you're, if your foot and your leg is swinging above the horizontal of your hip, that's a more natural follow-through and it's a more optimal strike as well because you're putting a lot more weight behind it. So have a look at it. It's it's really interesting. It's something that I've been trying to study over the last number of months and there isn't a lot of science out there on it, unfortunately, and there's certainly not any studies on it either. But if any of you come across something in terms of the follow-through, please send it to me. I'm always happy to read and learn and educate myself as you should all be doing as well. But yeah, don't worry too much about your follow-through, guys. Worry about your approach. Worry about your timing, your technique, your processes. Worry about the impact of the strike. And your follow-through will ultimately take care of itself. So I guess that's pretty much it from, from my end, folks. Once again, my apologies for being absent the last couple of weeks. I'd like to blame technology non-stop, but I'm sure there was something on, on our end that we were doing wrong as well uh, just a couple of quick updates for you in terms of our products our kicking tea is it's being manufactured but we're having some manufacturing issues right now with it which has slowed down the process so unfortunately i can't put a date or a or even give a timeline as to when this is going to be released at this point simply because we, we need to make sure that we get it right as opposed to just getting it done and getting it sold. We want to make sure that it's as close to, to perfect as possible. But I will keep you all updated on that. Our original timeline of Christmas probably isn't going to happen. So unfortunately, you're not going to wake up to a beautiful chip and chase tea underneath the Christmas tree or in your stocking this year. You never know. It could be a Christmas miracle and you could. But right now, it's not looking that way. And our kicking app, it is so close to completion Every time I put a, a date on something, it doesn't really work, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say 10 days from now, you should be able to download this on your phones. And really looking forward to this app. I was playing around with it this morning. It looks good. The functionality is good. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. And it's going to, for all kickers out there, I think you're really going to enjoy it whenever you're you're practicing so so yeah so thanks for tuning in everybody really appreciate it if you have any topics you want us to discuss or you have any questions that you want answered send them in to us on our instagram page more than happy to to interact with you guys and 
and to chat and to answer any questions you've got but until next time take it easy make sure you get out there and practice this week stay safe and enjoy your week